Good morning. I wanted to get right into the lesson this morning, but as always, there's just a couple things to share with you as we begin. Uh, we're thankful for your presence, of course, as we always say, grateful for the opportunity to be together. Several of our folks are traveling today, as has been stated. Several of our families, the Sorellos and Abels, are, have been in uh, the Pigeon Forge area for the Challenge Youth Conference, CYC, and will be traveling back today. Uh, several of you have asked about Clayton, and I forgot to, uh, didn't know if he needed to be put in the bulletin or not, but uh, the fever that he had been dealing with from the uh, infectious disease he had had a, a while back from uh, cleaning the squirrel that he had been working on, uh, he's still dealing with some fever from that, so some of the times he's not been here, that's where he's been. He's out of town uh, today, but that's kind of been uh, part of what's been going on with him. We've sent him uh, to the doctor last week and had some more blood tests run to try to figure out exactly what's going on. He'll have further uh, appointments coming up to try to see if he just needs more antibiotics or whatever to help kick that. But uh, sometimes when he's not here, he's just we're keeping him home because he is running a fever and don't want to uh, expose anyone if something else was going on. But it seems like he's still kind of battling that, maybe an infection in his blood. And hopefully he will be, be well soon. I wanted to just give a further statement about our brother Mark Posey. Uh, he did make it safely to Poland. He was able to share on Facebook. And then I saw this morning, actually, just a little bit ago, uh, that he's hoping to return home Monday and be back maybe in the United States at that time. Uh, he is one person that I've been made aware of. He shared it on his Facebook page. But there's another uh, person, another brother, preacher down in the Tuscumbia area who has traveled to the Ukraine before. He is associated with a missionary, well I say that, it may be a, a, a original you know, member of the country there in Romania. Uh, and both of those folks are, are trying to uh, take funds in. If you're interested in doing that, if you feel the need to do so, then we have ways that we can send some aid uh, specifically to the Christians, not uh, just some of the other good things, the Red Cross, things like that, people that do good work, but specifically missionaries and the Christians who are over there in that area at this time. And if you're interested in that, then we can, can put you in touch with that, that information. Uh, we appreciate, again, your attendance, the opportunity to be together today and look forward to not only studying God's Word, but, but also to, uh, to the time of fellowship in just a few moments. Uh, the other thing that I needed to mention was uh, my wife asked me if there was anything different about the pulpit, uh, but I gave Travis a hard time Wednesday night about his medical knowledge, but we do need to thank Travis. Uh, for the brighter lights that are back here. I'm not glowing more today. That's not what it is. Uh, I've not done anything with me, but uh, I do have some uh, brighter lights that Travis put up for us back here as we continue to make some changes, and we appreciate uh, his work, Jerry Renfro, others that do work around the building here and help us make improvements. So if you're curious again, as you were a month or so ago, what's different in here? Uh, that's what it is. We've got some brighter lights back, uh, back there to help uh, illuminate the area. 166,308. That's the number. That number represents at least through one statistic that I found that said that there are 166,308 deaths per day. That's the number. And I hope that you know, as is always the case, that anything that we say from the pulpit here, anything that I've prepared is with all the love in my heart, but 166,308 is, is the number. We ended with a question last week in our lesson, if you were with us, and I promised you that we would come back to it today. We talked about 10 questions to assess your spiritual health. Just as much as we care about our physical health and we need to be sure that what we are doing to our bodies is, is good and right, that we're taking care of ourselves, more importantly, we need to make sure that we are taking care of our spiritual health. And this is the exact slide that we used last week to say, do you yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus. It was the last question, and it was actually a perfect setup and lead-in to what I wanted us to talk about this morning. I ask you that question, 
That didn't make you answer. I didn't make you answer out loud. But you can think to yourself again, how did you answer that question? I mean, do you really, do you really yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus? Well, some people would say, well, preacher, how do you know? How, how can you tell? How can a person assess whether or not I answer yes to that question? Well, I believe it's a fundamental principle. It's certainly a biblical principle that our actions show who we are. And of course, we know that to be the case in real life, right? In our physical life as well. A husband cannot say that he loves his wife and yet continue to beat her or cheat on her or lie his way through the relationship. He can be saying, I love you. But when he's doing those things, then we know those things don't match up. An athlete can say that they are committed. An athlete can tell their coach and their teammates, I'm committed to the cause. I want to win more than anyone else. And yet they never show up for extra practice. They never put in the extra work. They're never working on their own. And so teammates and coaches sometimes say, well, I hear what you're saying, but your actions are saying something different. In fact, we sometimes even say, actions speak louder than words. A person cannot say that they love God but openly practice sexual immorality, sin, and anything else we might list in that particular category. James would say it in James chapter 3 in verse number 13. Who is wise among you? Let him show by good conduct. Matthew 12, 33 and 34, Jesus would say that a tree is known by its fruit. You can call it an orange tree all day long, but if there are apples hanging from the limbs, if it's an apple tree, we see by its fruit. Jesus says, therefore, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yes, that's our words, but we know sometimes that our words and our actions show who we really are on the inside. What have our actions over the course of the last two years even shown about our fear of death and our yearning to be with our Savior? And friends, I'm afraid that the answer is that we have allowed our fear of death to control our thoughts, our actions, and our fear of death of leaving this old world has brought us to a place where many people are less faithful to God and they would be in danger of spending an eternity in hell if they did actually die in that condition. Now, lest I run the risk of being misunderstood this morning, I am in no way suggesting that we should all take our own lives right now or end it all right here in this moment. I'm not trying to convince you or anyone else that I have all the answers regarding COVID-19 or that masks work or don't work or that you are sinning by getting or not getting a vaccine. I don't have it all figured out. But I heard a preacher say this not too long ago, and I feel like that I can say this with all honesty and with all seriousness, and I believe this to be the case. We have been convinced by people who do not care about our spiritual well-being that we can control life and death. When I get in a car, I put on a seatbelt. When I get in the car, I drive defensively. I take precautions so that my life doesn't come to an end with carelessness. But, but there are people who don't give a rip about your spiritual condition or my spiritual condition, who have guided our thinking 
to, st- to say that if we will just stay an, an arbitrary amount of distance away from each other or if we'll just wear masks or stay home, that we can control who lives and dies. I hope that you're listening to what I am saying. Because if we leave here in a few moments and I hear people saying, well, that preacher said he doesn't believe in masks, I'm going to be hurt because that's not what I'm saying. Our elders asked us to wear them for a time, and we did. I will again in different situations, and by all means, if a person wants to wear one, then they can go ahead and wear one. But what I'm saying is, is that we do not have control over life and death. And yet, so-called experts have convinced us that it is better to be separated from the body of Christ for as long as it takes if we can avoid dying. Or so they would have us to think. And it might help make our immune system stronger for a time. But for untold thousands, if not millions, it has made our spiritual system much, much weaker. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, James compares life to a puff of smoke that is gone within a few moments. Essentially, he's saying it's like trying to catch the wind. And that is what we have spent the better part of two years doing. Trying to hold on to the wind, thinking that we can control when we die. But what our fear of dying has done has caused us to miss out on precious time being with friends and family. It has caused our loved ones to sometimes have to die alone. It's caused people to miss out on opportunities to share the gospel. It has caused us to miss the chance to worship with our family. It's caused us to miss the chance to consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works, Hebrews 10, 24. Folks, we've had people who have been singing, what have I to dread, what have I to fear, while they've been hidden behind their computer screen at home. People singing, because he lives, all fear is gone, while they're spending the fourth, fifth, sixth, or multiple consecutive Lord's Days alone. People singing, this world is not my home, but I really do want to stay here for just a little while longer, Lord. It's not in our power. It's not in our hands. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's great sermon that he preaches there at Mars Hill, Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, he says, God, who made everything, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our hands. It is him who gives to all life and breath and all things. But we know that we don't have control, don't we? People who have never smoked a day in their life die of lung cancer. People who have never drank a drop of alcohol in their lives still end up with the cirrhosis of the liver. Children who barely learn to walk sometimes die of cancer. Teenagers who have their whole lives ahead of them, don't walk away from being hit by a drunk driver or being in a car accident. It's been said by many people and in different ways and in different works of literature and art, but survival is insufficient. Survival is insufficient. We've hopefully noticed, especially through this pandemic, that survival is insufficient. 
If survival was enough, we could get dunked under the water today. We could line everybody up, bring them in, dunk them under the water, and then we could carefully walk home so that we're not going to be hit by anybody or have a chance of dying, and we could hide in our basement until we die of natural causes or till the Lord comes back. If that's all that mattered was survival, that's survival. And yet, what we have been convinced of is that if we just wait, if we just separate, if we just continue to so-called worship from home away from danger and death and disease, then we can survive until our time is up. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8 what the early Christians did who faced trouble in life? Not a deadly virus in particular, I know, but they ran up against some resistance. They met some difficulty. Do you remember what they did? Actually, we go back in the, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 Peter and John were arrested. You see, their problem was not a virus, but it was persecution. And that persecution was at a fever pitch. John chapter 4, Peter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. Acts chapter 5, they are released, but then they're immediately on trial again. And then at the end of chapter 7, there's a body on the ground. At the end of Acts chapter 7, it's no longer trials or questioning or even threats. But one of their own is lying dead on the ground. And chapter 8 opens with the funeral for this great man. And the Bible says that they carried his beaten body to his burial and they made great lamentation over him. But even amidst their grief, even amidst their grief, there's this fellow who's now on the scene. Goes by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Pretty important to what they're doing because he's trying to stop what they're doing. Your Bible may say in front of you that he's making havoc. The English Standard Version says that he is ravaging. The American Standard Version says that he is laying waste to the people and what they're doing. Verse 1 of Acts 8 has already told us that they were scattered. It's safe to say that they were separate for a time. But they didn't just go and hide. Luke, by the Holy Spirit, says in verse number 4 that those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They said, maybe while they were first together before they scattered, it's not safe, we might need to separate for a time, but they didn't allow it to cause them just to stay inside, to just merely survive, but they went everywhere, wherever they were going, preaching the word. These Christians were still working to spread the gospel. In fact, I'll step out there on a limb and almost be willing to guarantee that some of them were afraid. They didn't walk around with their puff chest out saying, I'm not going to die. God's got a bubble around me. He's not going to allow anything to happen to me. They were probably fearful uh, for their lives. They were possibly afraid of dying just as they had just seen Stephen do. As there's a body right there of someone who's now dead for what he was doing and what they are going to be doing. But their fear did not stop their mission. They were not just trying to survive. They were thriving. How do you know that? Keep reading in Acts chapter 8. How do you know that? Go forward in Acts chapter 9 and notice that they take their biggest threat and they turn him into their biggest asset. And all of a sudden, they flip it around and he's on their side serving God and preaching the gospel. But don't just... Let me think or you think that I'm pounding COVID into the ground. Some folks have been living this way for a while. In fact, I heard it shared, and I believe it is Brother Brad Harib that's known for saying it, 
And don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a bit of a rock in a hard place sort of situation, but here's the way the prayer usually goes, right? Dear God, please let sister so-and-so live and make a full recovery, right? That's the way the prayer usually goes. And, and I'm not sure what we're supposed to say. Don't get me wrong, I know that's kind of honest. If I'm being honest, I'm not sure what we're supposed to say there, but, but it seems as if our mindset is that if it's up to us, we would never let anybody die, right? And so I think it's Brother Brad that's been known to say before that we spend more time praying for saved people to stay out of heaven than we do for lost people to be saved. And maybe that's an inward look that we need to have to understand exactly what we're, how we're thinking and how we view life and death and faithful service to God. Here's the thing. Death isn't fun. It's not. It's not enjoyable. It hurts. Number one, it hurts those who get left behind, right? We grieve. We sorrow even as we think about people in the moment. But number two, it can often hurt the person who is dying. It can be physically painful, and we shudder at the thought, and rightfully so, of someone being, someone suffering to the end of their last breath. Trust me, I know, I got all that. I've been around death more times than I like to remember. But the actuality of the message, the message of God, is that the sting of death is gone. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 58, Paul would write, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But, that word, that powerful word, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is gone because Jesus the Christ has conquered. He's conquered death. And because Jesus has conquered, that means we have conquered. And because he has conquered, meaning we have conquered, we can look at verse number 58 and see that we are then able to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now you tell me, does that sound like what many Christians have been engaged in over the last two years? Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Here's what we should be focusing on. A life that is in communion with God cannot, cannot be interrupted by mere death. Therefore, the fear of death should never disrupt the living of life in communion with God. Think about it. I mean, put it on the timeline. I don't know how long we have, or, but, but if we are living in communion with God right now, there's going to be a death, but then we get to keep living in communion with God. It's nothing but a blip on the radar in our life if we're in communion with God now and we're in communion with Him for all of eternity. Death is not a drawn-out process. It's not some kind of holdover in some place. It's a blip in the road where we shed this earthly body and we, these earthly change, but death cannot sever our relationship with God. It's just a moment in time, albeit painful sometimes in death and painful for us who are left behind, but if you're going to be in communion with him in eternity, you're going to be in communion with him now, and it's just one moment. Perhaps the most powerful commentary on this matter is the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 1. 
Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul would say, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's writing from prison and he's writing with a possible death sentence hanging over his head. And he says, the best thing for me is that they kill me and I get to go be with Jesus. That's the best thing for me. He even says in verse 23, I have a desire to depart. I love you all, but I'd really rather go be with Jesus. But he says, if not, I get to stay and I get to keep serving you and God. You know, we sometimes jokingly say in a moment of sarcasm, take me now, Lord, right? That's something that we say sometimes. But Paul said it any minute. He's setting the example. We should all live for Christ. And to live for Christ does not mean that we stay sheltered in our homes. It does not mean that we stay separated from the body of Christ. But to live for Christ means that we may take precautions, we may do certain things, but yet we live going about spreading the good news, being in contact with brothers and sisters. As we've talked about on Wednesday nights, we go about fulfilling the one another passages all throughout the New Testament. When it comes to our fear of death, I think often we might can reduce it to two things. One is that we are afraid of missing stuff and things here. When we talk about why we might fear death, I think sometimes the first problem may be because we are afraid of missing stuff, our stuff, and our things here. People sometimes say, God, I really want to get married or have kids or do this or do that. Some people say, God, I really want to see this place or travel or do this and that. But I'm afraid when we're saying, God, I've got things I want to do here, and then you can have me or take me. That's kind of like saying, I've got things that I want to hold on to here, and they're more important than what you want me to do. And I'm more afraid to lose those things than to gain what God has for me. Folks, it's natural. I got kids. Hope one day to have grandkids. I want a life. I want to see them grow. Maybe grandkids one day and us enjoy life together. But God did not put us here solely to enjoy this life. If he did, if we were only here to live this life and to enjoy it, then we would have no rules. I mean, we would have no cares if we're just going to enjoy it. But he put us here to be faithful to him. So one problem is sometimes that we get hung up. We don't want to lose our stuff or our things here. And it's natural, but it's something that we need to consider. Number two I think we're often afraid of what lies beyond, as we sometimes say it, right? We may fear death because we know that we're not in communion with God in this part, and we worry about what lies after death. That's the problem sometimes. We know. We know that if that moment of death came where we would probably spend eternity, because if we're being honest with ourselves, we know we're not in communion right now, and we wouldn't be for all of eternity. In both cases, we must set aside what we desire and wholly, totally serve him. Jim Valvano was a a famous college basketball player, coach, and broadcaster. In 1983, he led his North Carolina State team on an improbable run to the national title. Ten years later, 1993, almost to the day, he was dying of cancer, 
but he was on stage in Madison Square Garden in New York City, and he was there to accept a, a Lifetime Achievement of Sorts award. And because of my love of sports and the effects of cancer on my family, it's been one of my, one of my favorite speeches for a long time. As he was getting rushed off stage by the TV people, he said these words, Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind. It cannot touch my heart. And it cannot touch my soul. Now I'm going to assume that Coach Valvano was not probably a very religious man. Maybe he was. He may have claimed some kind of dedication to some type of religion. But whether unknowingly or not, he did quote exactly our Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, that's God, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I don't like cancer. I don't like car accidents. I don't like COVID or anything that takes away human life. But I don't have to fear death. And I for sure should not allow the fear of death to control my life in such a way as to cause me to be unfaithful to God, to Christ, and to the body of Christ, his church. One more time before we close, please hear me clearly. No one is suggesting that we go around courting death. Wear your seatbelt, don't play in the road, don't hop in the lion's cage at the zoo, don't court death. But, but we don't get to number our days. You cannot, nor should you not, presume to control life and death. You should not attempt to merely survive this life. It's not the message of God. It's not the message of those who believe in the power of his resurrection. My prayer is that you know me well enough by now to know that I mean this with all the love I have in me, and that I've wrestled with this for two years now about whether or not to preach a lesson like this or when was the right time. But the truth, the truth is that death is really about as natural as birth. It's not something to be feared in such a way that we allow our decisions and life to be controlled in a way that we are separated from the body of Christ. That we are not faithful to the services of the church together. That we are merely surviving and not living faithfully to him. This lesson is not meant to discourage, but encourage. Death is not something to fear because the battle has been won. Because we have eternal life. Because we have hope. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're subject to heaven's invitation. Heaven's invitation is to submit to Christ and to follow him. Heaven's invitation is to obey God's simple plan of salvation, his simple commands, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And God's invitation to his children is that if you stray from his path, you can return through confession, repentance, and prayer. And this morning, if you are subject to heaven's invitation, would you come as we stand together and as we sing?